if you're physically able, will you stand with me as we read from God's Word this morning? First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9. <clears throat> but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if, because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer or bishop of your souls. That's the word of the living God. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Um, <clears throat> we're going through a, the rest of the book of First Peter, and, and we're doing it in parts. And the title that we've, that we've assigned to this is that Christ is seen in our submission. Christ is seen in our submission. We've looked at it, and after you start in from verse 9 and following, there are several levels of submission that are called for in the text throughout the rest of the book. And we've talked about the fact that it's kind of the framework or the glue that holds the book of First Peter together. And if you want to really pursue an outline, it really is submission to authority after a call for surrender to Jesus. The submission is found in verse 13 of chapter 2 to government. It's found in verse 18 that we went over last week to employers. It's found in chapter 3, verse 1, wives in submission to husbands. And it's found in chapter 5, verse 5, from the younger ones to submit to their elders. We've taken an outline that we've been using since we started journeying through this part of the book of First Peter. And, and do you remember? And we've assigned P's. It's a word that starts with P, every one of them. Do you remember the first one? 
what is the first part of our outline that we've been pursuing here, beginning in verse 9? Does anybody remember? Position. Understand who we are in Christ to begin to, to uh, meditate on and let the truths about who we are now, our identity in Him. We once were, once were in Adam and now we're in Christ. Those are mutually exclusive positions. You're either in Adam and not in Christ or you're either in Christ and not in Adam. But there's no such thing as being one or both of them. So, if you've repented toward God and put faith in His Son, you're in Christ now. Hallelujah. And the Bible and the epistles goes about teasing out and explaining to us what that really means. Here's what you now have, and this is who you now are. Then, we move from position to what? What's the next one? Does anybody remember? Praise. Praise. What else? What other response can there be? Anger, ingratitude, contention, taking him to task. I mean, when we read about the fact that we're accepted in the beloved, we've been forgiven of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We're called the children of God, such as who we are, and we've been lavished with love by him. When we look at all the things that are true of the believer, what can that evoke? But what? Praise. Man, hallelujah. Let's proclaim the praises of the one who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not the people of God, who now are the people of God. Who once did not obtain mercy, and who now obtain mercy. And then, flowing from position, the praise that flows and is evoked by understanding that. The next one is what? Posture. What's the posture? Surrender. Surrender. To throw in the white flag. To become saved or because we are saved? Because we are saved. It's a deeper work that God wants to do in His elect who are already saved. A deeper, deeper level of surrender. He said, this is what I'm calling you for. It's not a commandment. It says word, the word there is beg. I implore. I urge you. Turn away from the fleshly lusts which war against your soul. And here are the terms of surrender. And the terms of surrender throughout the rest of the book are submission to authority. This is something that we can really lift from the Scriptures and we can be confident in this principle. And that's this. Your response and my response to God's delegated authority, which is all authority. The Bible says in Romans 13 that there is no authority but from God. There's no authority but from God. Our response to God's delegated authority is a litmus test about where we stand spiritually. It is a telling. It is Our response to God's delegated authority is a way, is a way to measure our spiritual condition. If we contend with God's delegated authority, we're in contention with God. If we're unsubmissive to God's delegated authority, we're unsubmissive to God. We can't divorce those two. We can't separate them. We can't cull them out. We can't build some kind of case around it. We can make excuses. But if we're going to be honest with the Bible and let the Bible be honest with us, which it always will be, then we have to say, Uncle, and throw in the white flag. And the first level of surrender he's calling for is surrendering to government authority. Then we talked about that at length, and we'll go through 
And we went through the text there from 14, I mean 13 and following. Then last week we talked about submission to employers and not just employers who are good, kind, and benevolent and easy to work for and with, but to employers who are what? Harsh, 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 Henry. And that word harsh, you remember the word? Scolios. It's the Greek word scolios, which means what? It's the word we get what from? Scoliosis, crooked spine, a crooked boss, a boss who's unpredictable, a manipulative boss, a self-serving boss. None of you have ever worked for anybody like that, have you? Greg, you've never worked for anybody that put their interests above you and the company in order to, uh, in order to advance their own career. You've never worked for anybody like that. Certainly not. Y'all have never encountered anybody like that, have you? You can't really trust what they say, and you know the way they manage you is to advance them and fully on you. And if their success happens to come at your expense or anybody else, so be it. And God said, you submit to them as you submit to me. That's a hard pill to swallow. That's the point. Everything that comes after surrender, God's saying the ante is high. But the reason it is, is I don't expect you to do it. I will do it through you. I will do it through you. And so the crooked, the perverse, the ones who are harsh, which lifts from verse 18, the Greek word, remember we talked about it, skalios, which means crooked. It's commendable for, before God. Two times he says commendable here. In verse 19, and he also says it again in verse 20. It's commendable. Then the next part of our outline, so we have position... We have praise that flows from that. We have a posture, which is that of surrender. And then, does anybody remember what the next one was? Pattern. Is that what you mean? Pattern. Good job. Amen. Right. Thank you. Pattern. Pattern. And who is the pattern? Who is the pattern but Jesus Christ? It is the testimony of the cross. Mark this down. When God is at work... In any given situation, He is going to point you and others surrounding you to the cross of His Son. Mark it down. The Apostle Paul said it this way, God forbid that I should boast in anything except what? The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, whereby the world's been crucified to me, and I've been crucified to the world. Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah are there talking to Him in their glorified state. He transfigures Himself in front of the disciples. And in Luke's account of that event, the Bible says that the subject matter of the conference they were having was the cross. And it's a picture of the Bible because Moses and Elijah represent the Old Testament. There's the Old Testament standing there with what was prophesied in the New Testament. Jesus Christ Himself and the subject matter of their conference was the cross and His departure to heaven. You look at the tabernacle and fly over it 5,000 feet and the way it was lined up in the wilderness, Paul, and in the middle you had the tabernacle, and you had tribes to the north, and you had tribes to the west, and you had tribes to the east, and you had tribes to the south. What buzz that but a bird's eye view of what? The cross. The Ten Commandments. The first four are about your vertical relationship with God. The middle one is the Sabbath 
who is Jesus. And the rest of them are your horizontal relationships with one another. You fly above the Ten Commandments and what do you see? You see the cross with the brow of Jesus Christ right in the middle of it. Let me tell you this. God wants to display the cross of His Son through your life. That's the pattern. Look at it. It's the pathology of the cross. What it says is, to this you were called, in verse 21, because who? Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in His steps. Oh, man. Oh, man. That we would have that kind of call on our lives, dear one. That God would take the witness of His Son and turn it over to us is a miracle of divine grace. I want you to know, if you're suffering under the tyranny of a boss that you find hard to deal with, it is God's grace that would let you do that. It is favor from God. This is how we contort and confuse things. We need to think the way the Word of God instructs us to think. And it's a privilege to suffer on behalf of the cross of God's dear Son. It's not a measure of God's disfavor, old dear ones. But if you're in the middle of His will and you're suffering for it, it's His divine favor. The Bible says the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Wow. The Spirit of glory and of God rests upon a saint who suffers as a result of being in the middle of God's will. We use the word example. See it there in verse 21? Leaving us an example that you should follow in His steps. That word example, do you remember what we said it meant? It means writing under. It means that God has, if you will, the template of your life, if you put the template of your life and cast it in terms of a piece of paper, this life that He now owns, by the way, you were bought with a price, you and I. What was the price paid? To become His own special people, part of His own holy nation, the blood of His Son. And He said, Here's, here it is right here. I gave you life. I've bought it for you. You didn't have life before. Now I've given you the introduction of a brand new life, spiritual life, life in the Spirit. In Christ. And I'm going to take my son's portrait and put it on top and trace out a picture of him such that that trace is embedded in the witness that you bear every day. Oh, man. How often we buy into the lie of the devil who trivializes everything that goes in our lives and makes us misinterpret the activity of God. God wants to trace a portrait of his son on my life every day and yours. You know how he does it? He does it most often and it's most pronounced and it's most noticeable when it's least expected. When you turn the other cheek you choose to forgive when you can make a real good case why you shouldn't. You choose to surrender your future to what other people see as uncertain, but what you know to be God's will. You say, I'm stepping in the light, and if everybody around me misinterprets what I do, so be it, because I know I've heard from God. I know I've heard from God. I've told you about Ray Stebbin using the example <clears throat> of the guy who's walking down the street in Los Angeles where he's in the middle of a revival 
and he had a sandwich board sign. On the front, Josh had said, I am a fool for Jesus Christ. And on the back, as you walk by, it says, Whose fool are you? I'd rather be seen wise in the sight of God and a fool in the sight of man than the other way around. And I'm going to tell you this. They're always one or the other. Either you're wise in the sight of God and foolish in the sight of men, and that might even include your family. Or you're wise in the sight of man and you're foolish in the sight of God. It's one or the other. Aren't you proud of Jesus? Isn't there a more spiritual word to say than that? But aren't you so proud of him? The one who could assert his rights and change everything about his moment in front of Pilate, but yet laid him down? Aren't you proud of the one who had had his, had as it at his disposal legions of angels he could have called and come to his rescue, but elected not to? Anybody can assert their rights. That's flesh. That's predictable. That's normal. That's understandable. But when you go to laying them down, it evokes questions on the part of those who don't know Jesus. When it's for conscience sake. Can you imagine God wanting to trace the pattern of His dear Son onto my life? What does that pattern look like? Well, I can tell you this. We don't have any pictures of Jesus. And good we don't. Good we don't. Brooke had been around in the time of Jesus. We'd have some pictures of Him. And she takes some wonderful pictures. We don't have any photographs of Jesus. And I believe one of the reasons why we don't have any photographs or anything left that he would write is because we'd start worshiping him. We'd be, we'd be the church of the parchment. And we'd take a slice of whatever he touched and we'd start worshiping it. That's how sorry we are. we make an idol out of it. So he left nothing except a testimony. And he left that testimony. That testimony was holy enough. He left witnesses that attested to what he did. But if you want to make a case, I can't draw on here what I think he looks like, Scott, because that would be an exercise in futility and really would be profane. It would be idolatry. I can't do that, but I can tell you this. I know this much about it by reading the Bible and so do you. I tell you what that looks like. When he traces that, I tell you what it looks like. It looks like this. That's what it looks like. It's the cross. It's the cross he wants to trace over my life. He wants it preeminent so that we give a reason for the hope that lies within us. Because see, if we're not careful, if, we, if we're not careful, people will begin to misinterpret us and they will begin to think that we think our answer is in change on this side of eternity rather than the gospel. we got to quit conceding that. Listen, I want this government to do as well as it can do. I do. I have children who are growing up in it. I do. But my hope doesn't vest there. I want my employers to act in a kind of benevolent way that, that leads to career development for every one of you. But they may or may not do that. But you know what? That's not the issue. That's not why you work there. This is not why we live in America. We're here to advance the gospel. You can do all the political change you want to do. If somebody dies in freedom or they die in tyranny without Christ, both of them go to hell. And so he says, submit. And the pattern is Jesus. And who said this? Look at this in verse 22. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. We're going to go over here. and Let's do it. Let's, let's do it. Let's go over to Isaiah 53. Let's go to Isaiah 53. Can you do that? He's quoting from Isaiah 53 here. And Isaiah 53 is just a pinnacle passage in the Bible. It's way up there. It's one of the mountain peaks of Scripture. And you're familiar with it. And you've read it and you've heard it quoted many times. It's the Gospel in the Old Testament, which is the Gospel is in the Old Testament. The Gospel doesn't begin in the New Testament. 
does it. Alright. We're gonna have to you know what? Seth, your dad told me the other day that you raised a really good question. And and I'm so I was so thankful. I was just listening in the background when he told me about you raising this question about what it means for Jesus to be called the bishop of our soul. And I wanted to go there this morning. I don't think we're gonna have time to. But that's the only time in scripture where Jesus is referred to as the bishop of our soul. And it has unbelievable meaning. And you have to wrap, we have to unwrap that so we can understand the whole book of First Peter. If we don't understand that that one term, which is in the bot- end of this chapter, we can't understand First Peter. I don't know that we're going to have time to go there this morning, but I want you to know this. I want you to see this. Look at Isaiah chapter 53. He's quoting from verse 9, the bottom part of verse 9, talking about Jesus. They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. See, here's the thing. When they come to you and they want to accuse you as evildoers, have the kind of testimony that Jesus had, and that is that his life was above reproach. Test it out, tease it out, all you want to, and what comes out is that he was perfect, sinless, and submissive to the Father's will in every measure. And he's saying, let that be when somebody examines your life that we're not an impediment to the cross, but we are a vessel God uses to point those to it. So, there was no deceit found in his mouth. Now, don't you listen to it. Here's the orientation. Here's the disposition. I want you to think about this for a minute. Look at verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Now, what does that mean? It pleased the Lord to sacrifice His Son. It pleased the Lord to sacrifice His Son. I don't know about you, I appreciate that and I believe that, but I flat don't understand it. But I can tell you this, it must be wonderful. The fact that God would be pleased to strike His Son in mine and your place. We've talked about this and we've celebrated this before. And Eric, this is a wonderful thought. As a believer, God cannot punish your sin. He cannot do it and still be God. He can't do it. Because the full measure of the punishment and the wrath that my sin deserved and yours as the elect was taken out on his son. He could discipline us for our sin, but he cannot punish us for it. That was done at Calvary. Amen? That's why we don't say when Jesus is king. He's king now. It's a finished work. It pleased God. Now I want you to look at Ezekiel. Look at Ezekiel. Chapter 33, verse 11. <clears throat> Look at Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. This would be a great verse to mark in your Bible. Have a place to remember it. Not only for your fuel, but just to have this as a backdrop when you're sharing the gospel with somebody. Look what it says. Say to them, 
as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. <clears throat> wicked means unregenerate. Wicked means lost. But that the wicked turn from his wicked way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Now think about this. Think about this. Let's lay those two scriptures together. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but it pleased him to kill his son. I'm done. I'm done. I'm had. I'm, I'm, I'm not on the market. I'll follow him. I, I hope I'll follow him no matter what. To think that the Lord of glory, God himself, would be pleased to offer up his son and sacrifice. Now think about this for a minute. We're talking about a perfect son. I'm not talking about a rebellious son that gave him problems. I'm talking about this he is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That Son, God's only begotten Son, it pleased Him to offer Him up for those it doesn't please Him to assign to hell. God's pleased to offer up His Son, but He has no pleasure in sending somebody to hell. Will He send them to hell if they remain unrepentant? Absolutely. His justice demands it. But if you lay those two scriptures beside one another and say, wait a minute, it pleased God to send His only Son who pleased Him to die for those He's very much displeased with because He doesn't want to send them to hell? I'll follow Him. I'm in. I'm in. Done. Done. That's it. Done. See, this is the term of surrender. This is, listen, what are we going to say to that? We're going to wrestle and tease with and contend with God about things that we contend with Him when the Lord of glory was pleased to offer up His Son and He's not pleased to, to judge and consign the wicked to hell, yet He will do it, but it pleased Him to offer up the only righteous one for the ones that He's totally displeased with because He doesn't want to send them to hell. Praise His name. That makes our wrestling with God over whatever He says to us so contemptuous and so offensive. It is nothing but His grace that keeps Him patiently enduring with His children like me. You know, make the case. Make it. What is it? What's the case? Look. I mean, can we make one? Is there one? God, I'm withholding. God, I'm, I'm, you know, this area, I know your word says this, but, but, once you say the word but, you lose sight of the fact that God was pleased to kill His Son when it doesn't please, it doesn't, He doesn't drive any pleasure from consigning the wicked to hell and killed His Son, sacrificed His Son in order to spare a wicked man or woman from going to hell. That's amazing. That's why we were to sing in the morning. That's why this should be 20 minutes, should be whatever whatever it takes, Brother Al, 20, 30 minutes. If we really are into our Bibles and let our Bibles get into us, this would just be the culmination of what's been going on all week. It would just be an outpouring of what's been going on all week. Oh, I've been worshiping you. Lord, we started worshiping Monday. 
time we got to Sunday, we couldn't stand it any longer. I mean, crank us up? What? Crank us up for what? You know, and we begin to get it. That this is what God did through his son. And then he says, look at it, what he says here. In verse Peter, chapter 2. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Listen, every time that you act unsubmissive to your authorities, you're putting your contention against them in the way of what God wants to do with them. You're exercising judgment. And as long as you do so, as long as you do so, you are an impediment to God exercising doesn't mean he won't do it, but you're an impediment to it. You're an impediment to it. You won't. What's the objective here? Is the objective your best life now? Is your objective, uh, let's improve things and build a Tower of Babel all again and come together all again and make the world a better place? Let's do away with poverty. Jesus said, Jesus, the poor you have with you always. It, 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 is it that? Or is it the gospel? Do we have the pilgrim mentality? Do we have the pilgrim mentality? Or are we squatters? What are we? What, what are we? Are we loitering? What are we doing? This is not home. I love this song. It's building 429. It's got a new song out now. This is not... How's it go? Uh, let's see. Not my... I belong... Take this world and give me Jesus. This, this world, this is not where I belong. I was singing that as loud as I could sing it in the car yesterday. The only person I had to put up with was Catherine. Pray for <laughs> Had to go. Listen, listen uh, let me, uh, um, all I know, all I was, yeah. It's, uh, help me out. How does it start out? The chorus, it starts out. Uh, the, um, how does it go, Catherine? Uh, the, um, help me out with it. I think it's not. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. Right? Is that it? I'm sitting there thinking, God, if you'd make me live like that, would you let me live like that as if that were true? Because let me tell you something right now. It's true. This is not my home. You and I are pilgrims. And Jesus knew that. He said that on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was about the cross and His decease and His future ascension to heaven. This isn't my home. He told Thomas, he said, listen guys, if you knew what you were talking about and you really love me, you wouldn't want me to stick around here. You wouldn't want me to go back and live in the glory I came from from out all eternity. And if I go back, I'm bringing you with me. Listen, this is going to come full circle. Become king? Become king? No! He is king. A work left to be done? No! A finished work. It's over. You are not condemned. You are free. Hallelujah. Go out and surrender like it. Amen. Oh, dear ones, this is who we are. See, when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Committed himself to him to judge us righteously, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. Brother Al. By whose stripes you were 
healed. Hallelujah. Amen. It's a done work. It's not something yet to be done. It's not the sweet by and by. It's in the middle of the nasty now and now. Now what's it going to be? What's it going to be? Here's how we do it in Christian. I mentioned this last week. This is what a lot of Christian counseling involves. Come up with a real quick scheme, or come up with a well-crafted, thoughtful scheme on how I can enjoy the benefits of surrender without surrendering. Find from me in the Bible a way to enjoy the benefits of surrender without having to go through the nasty business of surrender. Preach a, a message well crafted, drawing from biblical principles. Dilute them, convolute them, and somehow or another appease my desire to live puny. Appease my desire to live puny, because that's what the flesh wants you to do, is to live puny. Or I can go into the work environment tomorrow, or any environment I'm placed in, and realize that I'm an ambassador from heaven. I'm an ambassador from heaven. I represent Jesus Christ. The only way that's ever going to be seen is when we embrace this cross. The way we respond to authority is a litmus test to where we stand with God. We're submissive to it. It indicates submission to Him. We resist it. We're resisting Him. They're one and the same.